Ghana. And I'm Monkeo. Actually, this- let's redo it. Wait, I why? To, I need to say my name the right way instead of the American way. I am Nana. <laughs> oh, very good. I was about to flip you off. <laughs> because I knew you were going to mess it up, but you didn't mess it up. Look at you. That's <laughs> you. Hi, I'm Nana. And I'm Bonkio. And this is African.American. This is a show about immigrants and children of African immigrants living in the United States. Okay. Yeah. The tagline is okay. Uh, You're getting better at it. Um, So today we are going to be talking about something that um, is near and dear to all of us. Uh, It's something that affects everything that we do in life, but something that we have a lot of trouble talking about, which is socioeconomic differences. And of course, since we're African thought Americans, we're going to be talking about it in the context of the African community. Um, so to start us off, Nans, maybe we can talk about what was our understanding of, of socioeconomic status as children, of ours as kids in general. So like, what were the most common jobs held by adults in your community in America, not in Ghana? In Ghana, oh, we were all Ghanaians. In Africa, we were all like... <laughs> Oh, whatever. Kings and queens with subjects, huh? Uh, kings and queens. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was how your life was. Okay, you had house girl and I don't really know. No, I just mean like, uh, I mean that it, it, to be fair, you have a certain amount of privilege to come to the States, right? Um, and it's not everybody that can. And a lot of times, even if you come here and you are cleaning floors, you had the resources to get here. And so, you know. You probably I, had at least one house girl. Let's let's be real. <laughs> let's be real now. Let's be real now. Growing up, I think the jobs I saw around me were taxi drivers, people who clean homes, warehouse workers, truck drivers. Even though, I mean, truck driving, driving a truck was actually a lucrative gig or is a lucrative gig because it pays so much um, relatively. And you would have, you know, your engineers, your doctors, your and those were the people to kind of aspire to. Uh, interestingly enough, the jobs that are now commanding a lot of money I didn't think were jobs that one could do things like you know being a software engineer being 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 a UX designer like I I never entered my head as I feel like UX wasn't a thing also UX UX wasn't a thing it wasn't it was a thing but it wasn't like a, a huge thing I I'd never heard the term until like maybe four years ago so but like certain things I never thought could be were achievable. I, ne- I never even thought in my head that there were jobs to be had. I just knew that go to school so that I don't perhaps have to work in the uh, McDonald's, that this is what I had to do to get get here and this is a professional job I had to do to know that I had made it in the community. It's interesting thinking back on it now, as to what I saw as success and what I saw as, oh, not as successful. Even back then, I mean, even with the taxi drivers, I would, I saw that as also a lucrative job mm-hmm. sometimes, depending on, you know, where the person was driving their taxi. This is pre-Uber, so. Yeah. Yes, yeah. because some people were making a lot of money doing that. 
Another thing that I would see a lot of were people who were, you know, taking care of elderly. Nursing aides and... Nursing aides. Like, you would see a lot of that in the community. And, you know, nurses as well. How about yourself? What kind of jobs did you see people holding? Um, I think very similar to you, a lot of the uncles were cab drivers. Um, And I'd say, like, we lived... Again, like we're from the D.C. area, right? So it's a pretty good swath of different African communities. And I would say even for other kids whose parents may be from other countries like that, that was common. Like your dad's like a drive. You, yeah. I feel like everybody had at least one uncle who drove cab, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, at least one uncle who had a brush with death, right? Driving cab because it's dangerous. And you, 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 you at least, you know, even if not your uncle, you always you hear somebody. that testimony. You needed sometimes you needed to go certain places and you wouldn't have you would have that person on speed dial. Yeah. That that one friend who could, you know, help you out. Yeah. So cab driving for women, definitely CNA, certified nursing assistant, like they're taking care of older yeah. um, people. Sometimes people had living gigs. I'm, you know, I know the lingo. Oh, the living. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, she found yes. a living job. Woo, yes. Oh, know. that's a lucrative, that's like, a thing yes. to have. And this. it still is. Well, I mean, depends, right? Like it's not, it's not particularly highly paid. I'd say nurses that, that I think that we, well, I'll speak for myself, I would say by like middle school, high school, that was the it job yeah. like every African was trying to be a nurse yeah. some of them couldn't stand inside of blood but they were still going to nursing school I think that has changed because of where you are now because I still think that's within certain communities that's still like the it job to have yeah yeah no I, I'm just saying that I I would say middle school high school was when it really became it because also the U.S. at the time had a nursing shortage and yeah. so there were more opportunities there are places you could go to nursing school for free in exchange for doing work and blah 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 blah. and I knew I know of people who took advantage of that people who are now nurses etc cetera, etc cetera. I had people who tried to push that on me um as well oh, because that was, that was and it's because i they, always say this because that's how they measure this success so right, it's that's like, the, why that's would the you ladder the ladder up yeah. right and i i get that um uh there are people in my extended family who did stuff with cars so like they fixed cars or they painted cars like shipping cars yeah. um mm, i don't know about shipping for me from i i don't think i really understood the concept of shipping cars um I knew it in the context of some some car rings they found with some African people who were stealing cars and shipping them to. <laughs> no, that come on, that it's happened. Not just that, ship, it happened, but it's it, not just it the shipping of cars. People ship all kinds of. Yeah, things. people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, ship the con- shipping containers, containers and stuff. Yeah. But that was stuff that people did on the side. I would say the most common thing for women, particularly by the time I got to middle school, high school, was to be a nurse. And then there was a phase where every African woman was selling lace. Oh, Every yes, and that of yes, um, yes. So she'd be a nurse, and then and she'd then be, be doing that in the Belgium or mm-hmm. wherever it is that they get the uh, lace. I'm, 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 uh, the Holland, 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 Holland. Oh, then, clock. <laughs> and then they would come back, and you know, everybody I was just selling. selling. Yes, yes. Everybody it's was selling thing. stuff. I, I know several people who still who still do that as their side gig. Yeah, I don't know as many. I mean, I'm not really knee deep in African communities, but definitely had friends whose moms were were on that tip. Um, And then for men, I would say, yeah, the cab driving security guard also became a thing that was common. So basically working class. I think that's what. And and people, a lot of people doing what you call double. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
having multiple multiple gigs multiple different jobs catering like being the people who like people you know people are always on their hustle but i would say generally working i grew up in a working class area i grew up in a working class neighborhood and most of the people around me were working class i didn't as far as like doctors lawyers I think those were the things that I knew were open to me because I think like you, I grew up with the understanding that, yes, I'm going to go to college. Um, And I wasn't super into chemistry. I got an A, I remember in chemistry, but really like didn't enjoy the class. And so I was like, well, doctor is not for me, but I've always been someone who, I mean, I never did it, but whatever. Lawyer was the my mindset and that's what I went into college thinking. Mm. But I would say... I don't really recall interacting with a ton of African doctors and lawyers, particularly Sierra Leonean ones, but I still grew up with the consciousness of like, I should, I could aspire to that and should aspire to that, if that makes sense. So I didn't necessarily see it in my face, but I saw black doctors and lawyers because we grew up in a black area. Um, and so it wasn't like a bridge too far, but I think like you, like we, 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 we're, we, you know, we're the older millennials. And so like for me, technology and stuff didn't fully understand it. I thought it was more complicated than it actually was. And so, yeah, I didn't pursue computer science. It wasn't something that was stretched. Even when I went to college and somebody suggested, oh, take a computer science class. I was like, how is that going to help me get to where I need to get? Exactly. I felt like I I honestly felt like and this was kind of dumb. I did feel like it was for more mathematically science mind smarter people. That's why I thought yeah. about it. Um, uh-huh. And and I didn't really think about it as like, well, if you can become fluent in like, I it, it just brings me back to when someone someone said something like that to me. A, a guy who it's probably he he's definitely on the other end of the political spectrum. But it's really nice to think that that person really respects me that much. Um. Long story short, he met someone else that knew me, and then they were, they she they messaged me and like we were talking about you and how you should be president. I was like, really, Bonkio for president? Nah. <laughs> hey, never I- say never. Yeah, but um, I remember before that, right? I had interacted with this person just really briefly in a program, and I was like, oh yeah, computer science. You know, I don't know, my I don't know if I'm cut out for that. My brain, and he was, and the and he was like, you're fluent in Arabic. Yes, yeah. But you're fluent in Arabic. You just started learning it in college, and yet you think you can't be a computer scientist. And he just shook his head. <laughs> so it was like a, oh, a diss, and yeah. a like, girl, you know, you got this all wrapped up into one. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just—I think tech was like on that cusp, and I didn't really grow up with like a strong tech. You know, like there are people who were coding. <laughs> I, I, quite honestly, I didn't know anybody right. around who was doing that. Yeah, I did. I knew some dude, like there was a dude that sold my mom, like the first computer that we had. And a lot so, of people were in IT too. Some people were in IT, IT too. That was, like, yeah. that was like thing to do. That was a thing. And so I didn't, but I didn't know, you know, we didn't grow up like Facebook came out when we were sophomore, when I was a sophomore in college. And I was so nice. I didn't even realize it was a company until like late. <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> two three years later, I remember someone saying that um, this it was a, it, this person was an engineering major, and they're like, "Oh, they got a job at Facebook," and I was like, "Oh, that's a like, I didn't know that you could work." You, like you come in, and they're like, "I'll sign up for Facebook." Yeah, it was just like a thing. Um, yeah. you know, should have had more. You know, if I had to crest the ball, right? Girl. So yeah, I think <laughs> I I think that yeah. So basically, both we both maybe had a working class existence, working class consciousness, but like we knew 
I think it's that immigrant thing, right? Like, they're driving cabs, so you don't have to. They're doing this, but like, you need to do something to get your, you know, they have three, four hustles so that you don't have to suffer. You don't have to suffer like that. Like, go to school, blah, 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 blah. Um, So then, I guess the other piece of it is like, what did most people that you knew like live in? in houses apartments mobile homes whatever and like i mean i mean most were in apartments and you would have actually have people stress to you that it's best to live in an apartment and not get a house and have to deal with all that comes with a house um but most people lived in in apartments when we first got here um and then we moved we lived with family when we when we first arrived so when we moved we moved into an apartment um apartment complex and that was when we changed you know we we changed churches and then we got introduced to folks who were africans other africans who are living in houses and not apartments but it depends on where where you live i would say depending on where you lived or where you where your family was situated it was a different thing yeah some folks did townhomes a lot of people actually gravitated towards the townhomes quite a bit Um, it makes sense um I think especially for the D.C. area, for people yeah. who live in D.C. proper, um, same thing. Everyone lived in apartments. And then people started getting into homes, mainly townhomes, but then some other people. And again, I'm just talking about African community in general, because it's not really yeah. just family, just really a big, there's really a big range of people in townhomes. And there were people who, you know, got those like, you know, the we made it homes, the the four bedroom, three bath with the two car garage <laughs> homes. There was, a you know, a few people like in the 90s that got to that. Um, and it just kind of depends, like whether it was Maryland versus DC, because DC is basically a townhouse. That's what you're getting. Yeah, it's not that many people that there's not that yeah. much, there are not that many single family homes in DC. Period. Uh-huh. So you don't get what you're going to get. But for me personally, we basically lived in apartments most of my life. I mean, we lived in a condo, but it was an apartment. It was a big ass condo, but it was still an. I mean, it was like a four bedroom, like. Yeah. I don't know too bad I forgot it was like a lot of rooms I just remember it being like really deep and having a really long hallway um and again that was in Maryland but yeah yeah Africans were kind of like by high school everything everything and then we talk about the housing boom you know remember that early 2000s the maids were getting million dollar houses at that time I'm sitting here wondering how much of the folks choosing to, because sometimes, you know, the, the rent you're paying for that apartment is equal to the mortgage you'd be paying for that home. How many folks like thought about it and rationalize it as I don't want to go spend, put all that much money into a house and I'm, I may, you know, I may leave and go back home or like, is it is this going to be an appreciating asset for me or is this what it's going to be? How many people thought about the home as a, as a way to attain wealth <laughs> versus just a money suck? I don't know. I feel like most people did. I don't think, I, I, at least for the family, for my fat, like, you know, extended family, people I interacted with, it just, homeownership was, they definitely ate the American dream. They ate that stuff up and like, it was seen as like, like the next gradual, the next step, right? Uh, like yeah. to show, um, I definitely have heard people, you know, you know, people with one-upmanship, oh, so-and-so bought a home with a two-car garage, you know, oh, you know. So That's always the case in the African community, especially, like, when you go to church with them and all of that. That's, like, the things that come up. Those, yeah, those, like, external things that aren't really reflections of X, Y, Z. But I did know of families, too, who, like... They were well off, but they would live in like a one bedroom apartment until their kids were like grown. I knew some as well. And it was 
I often wonder, like now, was it how much of it was they didn't see it as a as a sign of I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just yeah, it's it's different. Um, and and there are different layers of it, right? People who are here in the '60s and '70s versus people that came in the '80s and '90s. So that's also a piece of it. Um, where about like how your family in Africa? I know I kind of alluded to it or like my you know stereotypes about what Africans are, but like how how did they? Where did they live? How did they live? How did that that contrast with like what? the reality in the u.s was for community i lived i i lived there for a bit and it it was comfortable i mean we did have help um Mm -hmm. i told you not not all not not throughout my childhood not the time but at a certain point we had help when we house boy house girl no because we lived we used to live in a kind of a government paid complex and so when we moved to our our own kind of house place we we did like initially we didn't have any help we eventually got help it was comfortable when you're living there you have this whole thought of america as oh the place where the grass is greener and everything is huge and everything is pretty and and so when we first came and we came into the apartment apartment complex and i had to share that room (laughs) i was like oh my god like what is this it is, you know, it, it was like at the beginning, it was a struggle. You know, my conception of when I was coming, I was so excited, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finally out of here. I didn't quite realize the the struggle that and I often say it to people like you all need to realize that this place is a struggle. People go back home and, you know, with their nice jeans, with their Louis Vuitton bags, and you think that they're living the life here. But this this same person is somebody who's cleaning. It's not easy to come by. It's not easy. Yeah. So it was definitely kind of a shock for me <laughs> initially. Yeah. But then th- that made me, I think that that put it in my head that my parents were struggling to make sure that I would get to a certain point in this country where I wouldn't need to feel like I'm struggling. So yeah. it would always, it, it gave me the drive to always like keep pushing, um, keep moving. Uh, how about yourself? Where did your family live? Um, in um, you know, I was really young, so I don't have as many memories, but of course I, I, I mean, I think they were okay. They had help. They had, um, you know, they had, they were kind of known. What I understand was like there was a main apartment in Freetown that that's the capital where um, some folk lived and they were all kind of, the family is kind of known. I'm not going to say the name and everything, but you know, all the so-and-sos that live in so-and-so and like everybody, that was something that I heard quite a bit growing up. Yeah. Um, and then there was like general places that were homes and it just seemed like I think it was fine. I mean, that was my impression. And I think even thinking about other people and their parents and like how they talk about like being in Africa, it was like that same thing of like, you know, I had I had a house, but um, it just seemed a, a more privileged. OK, we get to adulthood and college. Um, yeah. How did like being a young adult in college and then, you know, going out into the working world, how did that shift your understanding of socioeconomic status, particularly of Africans or African-Americans and then everyone else? I think definitely, I think college is when I realized that there were, there was such a thing as class. <laughs> as Girl, I didn't even realize it till later. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it wasn't in my first year. Um, I think my junior year, 
end of sophomore year, junior year was when I, I started to realize it because we started to talk about it. First year dorm, you know, the folks on my, the other first years on my floor, like there were people of different classes and, and it was actually a start. You could tell the difference, but I could not tell. Like people would be holding their, I didn't even know what a lot of these name brands were. Because that was how... Luxury brands. Luxury. There's a difference. Oh, my God. Hermes is not name brand. Hermes is luxury. Brands that sometimes do not even have any marker on it. Uh, I didn't... Like, people would know. Like, a lot of people knew. I didn't know. I didn't know what the difference between Longchamp or whatever. I didn't even know what the bag was. So, (laughs) after we started talking more and more about it, and I started getting exposed to people from different classes, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I I, I used to think, coming, coming to college, I was like, oh, we're somewhat comfortable. But comparatively, I was like, oh, this is how the other side lives. Like, little things. Like, people going to get food in the town that the school is in. Like, people being able to afford that concept. People not having to work when they work like I thought it was coming and I was like, oh, everybody has work study. <laughs> like, it's okay. Like everybody's going to be going through the same thing. And it was just like experiencing that, seeing how many times people's people's parents, like were able to just come on campus and be like, oh, I'm just visit. Oh, what, when did you have, oh, like they got on a flight. People being able to just constantly go home. It's funny, although I did not know people's class, most of my friends were from the same class. Like yeah, birds of a feather flock together. Those had gravitated towards to towards those who gravitated towards me. So we would like start. That was how those conversations would start. Like we would see things and we'd be like, oh, you know. So it's when I it was when I got to college, like middle college, um, that I started realizing it's not all black people are poor. Not everybody goes to public school. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to these elite institutions. I didn't even realize that people had consultants helping them apply to college. Like I didn't even realize that that was a thing. Um, and oftentimes when, <laughs> back then, and even even after I graduated, I would be like, if only I knew the things that I know now. If only I knew the kind of resources there. Just imagine. <laughs> yeah, I could. I could be. Uh, what's that guy? I always forget his name. Uh, Jeff Bezos. He could be. Yeah. It is. I think um, mine was similar to you. To be frank, I, I was poor. I grew up poor, and I didn't realize the extent to which I was poor until I got to college, and not even just like on a gradient level thing, but I thought. Um, I think like you, I thought, oh, if you're black, that you're like me, like you're, you're coming from a public school. You, you know, I got SAT waivers. I had free lunch. Like I was poor. Uh, I was, I was poor, but now I am rich, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, when it, when I got to, to school and again, it's a women's school whatever well say it's a women's college and 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 you hear about people like we used to, i don't even know if this is true but they'd be like oh there's a there's a girl here who like doesn't do laundry and she just like oh, wears her clothes once and then she goes back to like the burberry store to get more um and it, it, those kinds of concepts were weird to me because you knew again, what burberry was girl <laughs> i didn't even know i think i i think i might have known because there was a time when it became you know sometimes these luxury brands tickle down and so that iconic burberry pattern like that plaid i yeah. feel like that's around the time it was a thing 
I would say that I I grew up understanding quality. Like we knew like there was a difference between Lord Taylor and Walmart. And we knew that Target was ranked better than Walmart. And there were certain things I, I would say that annoy me that are still part of me till today, because even though we were working class slash poor, I would say the larger community, the people who were around us, there were certain rules you had to follow at school. So like one thing was um, that you could not wear the same outfit twice in a week. Can't wear the same blue jeans on Monday and then wear them on Friday. You had to have separate distinct outfits for every day of the week. If not, people would make fun of you. You had to have name brand sneakers. If not, people would make fun of you. You had to do X, Y, and Z. And so like doing a lot of those things and navigating that, I guess I still colored my expectations in the way that I do. Like even to, to this day, like, you know, we have actual work and you go to work. I cannot do that. Like I would feel so like daring if I did, right? Because it's like this thing that's just been ingrained in me from when I was small. Um, that is to say that um, my estimation of growing up is that somehow people were being sh- poverty shamed. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people were, and it's kind of weird because it's like all of y'all, were po- we were all the same. I, I, we think, were- I, I think it existed for me, but I didn't care. But that was our reality. And mm-hmm. you just did what the other kids did, right? Like I knew that I was never going to get certain things that were like I remember Jordan Michael Jordan was still I'm that old yes Michael Jordan was actually playing basketball when I was like in like was that elementary or? I don't know it was like when Jordan when he started coming out with the sneakers and that was a thing and I I knew that I would never like my family was not going to spend a hundred dollars on some sneakers oh, for me yeah. as a growing child but you knew not to you ask know, I, I didn't even, it wasn't that important to me. What I wanted was the minimum. Like, I think I always grew up with a sense of like, like, I'm not going to lie. I never went to bed hungry. It's not, you know, yeah. we weren't living, you know, it, it's not one of those things, but I, I, I know that what, is what I, that, that yes. was what I felt was like comfortable, like, because you knew the, you knew that people had, some people had it worse off. <laughs> I felt... I knew we were, I, I, I always knew people had it better. Um, I think that like my family still had a global understanding of like class. And so we knew, like, you know, we knew where to, you, we knew where the big old fancy houses were. Again, I know what Lord and Taylor is. I know what, what's the other place that's a big thing? Not Nordstrom. No. You know, Nordstrom is so plebeian. Let me stop. I love Nordstrom, but no, Nordstrom is enough. Neiman Marcus, exactly. Although I think they're going out of business. One of them is going out of business now. Like, I knew that those are where people, you know, Bethesda and Chevy Chase, that's where they went shopping. And like, sometimes we would, you know, if I went to want to get a prom dress or something for a wedding, maybe we would go there too. But it was like... My my place was like the Lord and Taylor and Nordstrom, girl. Instead of JCPenney, because we would shop in JCPenney. My upper echelon was where I didn't even go to the point of Nima Market. Oh, what I mean is like we were poor. I think class is a weird thing because it's like when I say poor, I do mean poor. I mean paycheck to paycheck poor. But we had bigger aspirations than that I guess so like like my mom knew how to like shop the sales she understood there used to be a, a thing called work. hex a oh, thing yeah, called hex remember 
they became Macy's. And so she knew like, if you go there on like when they're having a sale, when they're doing clearance, when they used to have real sales, it's so you funny can get, how the, how the moms still use that now though. And then you can mm-hmm. do, but then, but people didn't understand. So yes, I had quality things and people might've thought that X, Y, and Z, but it was because like, she realized that hex on a clearance is the same thing as Walmart regular price or no Kmart that was the thing we didn't even have Walmart Walmart I feel like it was a newer thing once we got older when I was a kid it was Kmart Kmart yeah but just I mean basically like you know how to bargain hunt like my mom understood that like you you could buy this electric mixer at Kmart or you could get a KitchenAid on sale one Christmas and then for 20 years you never have to buy another one so I understood those things I just didn't I didn't necessarily understand luxury brands like Hermes like maybe my mom had Hermes perfume somebody gave her you know what I mean that she got or what have you it's not like it is I think it's a weird space to be um the immigrant story because again what you have back home is not necessarily what you have here but being back home and those experiences expose you to certain things Um, and so, yeah, but having that kind of background and understanding, like I would say, I never went to bed hungry, but I didn't always eat what I wanted. You sometimes, eat what, you, what was given to you. Like what do you right. mean? What, sometimes it was and eggs. <laughs> and and you, you, you didn't dare even say anything. Like you no, just I, I, I eat did, it and I, then you, you get up and go. It's I not like, I don't want that. <laughs> I did question that, but then I got to college and it's like, oh, you know, I can, you know, I, I, I did. I gained like eight pounds my first. That was Because I was, I thought it was a lot because I was eating pizza every day. Because in my heart, what would you do if you could eat anything you wanted whenever? And we also had like all the ice cream. I was just eating. Oh, yeah. The- I guess the other piece of it that I haven't talked about is that my family used to do a lot of stuff with the homeless community because my mom just... I don't know. I think when she got to the States, it was like, wow, this is America and people are lying in the street. Like, Americans are lying in the street. Because of the portrayal to us of what yeah. America is. You think so, that certain things don't exist here. Oftentimes, yeah. I, I remember when I when I was doing some community development work, I actually told one of the folks that in, in Baltimore that, you know, I know the portrayal of, you know, Africa that you've seen. <laughs> But in Ghana, I can tell you from my perspective in Ghana, you would never like people don't go home hungry or don't kids don't go and rob a store because they're hungry. At the very least, you'll get food to eat. You'll get by. The sense of community. It's like even if you're living in the village where well, you're growing something. So yeah. you get your potato together or X, Y and yeah. Z. Um, and so in that sense, like we would go um Sometimes my mom would just like make like a big cooler. Remember the African coolers for every. Oh my god! <laughs> my mom would make a cooler full of jollof rice and like stew, and we would go to the homeless shelter and give it out. And people would be like, you know, thank you, because like, if I had one more bologna sandwich, because the only time homeless shelters get like that fancy stuff is the holidays, right? And I used to grow. I grew up with that. Like homeless are homeless year round. Not yeah. just on Thanksgiving and, you know, maybe they'll get some dry turkey and some gravies. And that was kind of her attitude about it. Uh-huh. And so I understood, right? Like, I'm like, all right, we're not great. Like this, you know, this is the reality of America. And sometimes people with kids, it's, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so having that consciousness, coming to college, seeing how privileged some people were also kind of affected the way that I I didn't really internalize how privileged people were until I was until later. Maybe my senior year is when I was like, oh, now I get it. 
Now I truly get what you mean. Now I truly see it. And now as an adult, as I reflect on other people who are alums and I um, think back to certain things, it's how I know, oh, okay, that was all that class stuff that was going on and it went over my head. Because um, I think what, what's intersected with it is this idea also of blackness. Yeah. And um, I think college was the first place, obviously, that I was in, was the first time I was in a majority white space. Same. Um, and that intersects yep. with class in that, I did not recognize that there were a lot of black people, probably the majority of them at the institutions that I've studied at, who did not grow up in majority black spaces. Yeah. And so there was also, I think there was, there was the cultural identity piece, but there was also a thread or a line of black people who grew up in majority white spaces, privileged white spaces, who were also at the same time trying to decide who you know they were the barrier to entry for I, black. I exactly what you're saying. so you know if you don't do this you're not black if you don't yes. talk like that if you're not black if you didn't you're listen to this enough. growing up yeah. you're not black just stuff that really was like but I'm, I'm you know now I can say that I'm older I'm like no I'm from you know I'm from chocolate city it's like I'm from the DC area like you can't dictate what blackness is on me you can't put those things on me but I didn't necessarily have that language and I didn't necessarily know that oh people can go to boarding school in Connecticut or Massachusetts what Phillips Exeter and you know all these other things those weren't those weren't uh, weren't things for me and again it's not again because we did we did rush we did we we did have our brushes with 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 um privilege so when I was in high school I did originally, I wanted to go to Georgetown Visitation, which is the girls' school for Georgetown Prep. And my reasoning was like, well, you know, these schools help people. I was like, no matter what, I'll get into Georgetown. Like, minimum, I'm going to get into Georgetown. That's the way I was thinking. In the end, I didn't do it because, one, it was really expensive. Um, And two, the academic program that they were offering wasn't better than what my high school was offering. Again, I went to my high school, like, when my teachers were peak prime, like they've been teaching for like 45 years and they still had some juice in that orange and all of that. So I guess, yes, college was a shocker, the mixing bowl. We get there and we realize, oh, there's all these layers of Africans. Um, I think another piece that I would add is like studying abroad or just just interacting with other international Africans is when I start realizing, oh, like everybody in Africa isn't like, middle class like we got some filthy stinky like crazy rich asians we got crazy rich africans too yeah um so that was also something that was interesting because i think some of my closer friends were like you know like the the african kids with a dollar and a dream and a really brilliant mind and they came here and da 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 da. but there were some kids where it's like oh okay well so-and-so's daddy is was prime minister was ambassador (laughs) so-and-so does not know what i'm talking about when i talk about hustle or like b- b- fried bologna sandwich you know whatever it was did, did it affect the way in which you understood them <laughs> um i think that when i reflect on college and when i think about class in general um i think my closest friends from college mm-hmm. like the highest socioeconomic status was middle class right mm-hmm. um of my closest friends i did not really make connections with super rich people I'll say that I only made connections with them because we happened to be sharing the same space. And even then, 
like it's only a few that I've kept in contact with that who are still friends. Mm-hmm. And it's because we my other close friends who are not of the same class were also friends with them. So it was like, you know, we were a group. But even then, like with some of them, they did a very good job not making that part of the friendship. Um, I didn't know how wealthy some people were or are. And so there was no concept, like making friends with, there was no concept of, oh, this person is like wealthy. It wasn't until I graduated that for some of them, I knew. I would say that, I would say that this was a conscious thing for me either. I didn't go, oh, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so has a Porsche, so-and-so drives a BMW. It wasn't that, but it was just, I think, um, I did have some other friends. Um, There's one who was kind of like in our larger friend group, um, someone that gravitated towards me and my core group of friends, because I... I don't know. I had like a core group. We did everything together. We had that like quintessential college experience and people did see our friend group and how we interacted and like, like that. And we were not like, oh, you can't be a part of us. Like whatever, show up. And something that one friend said, who's quite like this larger circle was that she used to hang out with a lot of upper class people, Mm -hmm. but the events, the places they wanted to go, the things uh, they were exclusive and it made you know this person did come from like a you know middle class working working class to middle class yeah. family and it'll be like oh you always come to newberry street and you don't buy anything so this yeah. person hanging out with really rich people so newberry street for those of you who don't know is like buy your hermes scarves and your burberry bags in the boston area um and so like that also plays a role in it for me I knew I had to go wash pots in the kitchen. That was my job in college. Yeah. That was <laughs> because that was a good paying job. I tried to get in that job. I couldn't. That was the good paying <laughs> job. It was quick to be back there. Um, after a while, because I worked in the same kitchen, like I could like take a break, go eat lunch with my eat dinner with my friends, come back and finish my pots and roll out. A part of that was because there were I I saw that there were a lot of immigrants who worked in the kitchen. I used to be so jealous because I'm like, man, I they think have. It- it wasn't people immigrants. I would say it's just like working class staff, even the white staff. Like we were all cool. Like I really. Um, Some people are still living in touch with folks. They used which to work is with. which is beautiful, right? Yeah. And I love that they would always check on me. They'd be like, "How was your how your grades doing?" Blah 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 blah. Even when I went back and visited a few, you know, a couple for the first couple of years after after graduating, um, I guess that's another piece of it, right? I just felt like there were definitely people of different socioeconomic statuses who didn't necessarily interact even with those staff in that way. Yeah. I saw them as human beings and I'm not yeah. saying people didn't, but like there was definitely, even as a student who worked in the kitchen, there's definitely a way that certain people treated student workers yeah. as if they were, uh, what do you call it? Expendable. And so um, I think those kinds of things, it's just like if you grew up going to wine tastings, if you grew up, you know, if you what I knew someone who said in their town, if you didn't get like a, a, a like a fancy car, like a BMW Mercedes for your birthday, you were ghetto. They called it ghetto. That's not ghetto. Right. But like well, your birthday house and what? When they were 16. Uh, like if your yeah? first car was that, that's that's the status that this person wasn't necessarily rich. But that's the kind of town that they grew up in. A majority white town, upper class town in New England. So. I, I can't relate to that. Getting your <laughs> shoes custom made. You're oh, my, da- my, my dad will be like, yeah, you pay for that? Like, who's paying for that? <laughs> when, when you I, get the money, I'll take I you paid, 
for the most part, I was the one paying for my flights home, right? Like I was the one I was that I don't know if they still exist. AirTran. AirTran was really new. And praise the Lord, they used to have like $20, $30 tickets. So what I would do is plan. I get to school in the fall. I'm buying my ticket for fall break home. So I did go home, but it's because I was able to plan and get cheap. Plan ahead, yeah. Right. But other people would talk to me, you know, maybe maybe like from upper middle class families and they'd be like, oh, how did you do that? Like, you know, United. I still remember feeling ashamed somehow, which is a weird thing. Again, I think it's the class shaming that happened growing up. And it comes back because I remember there was one person, sweet person, love her. Um, I actually went to her wedding a few years ago and um, she was like, how do you get such cheap tickets home? Like we were looking and, you know, United and Delta, they were all like three, four hundred dollars. And I'm like, oh, you know, I was, too ashamed. Early. I was too ashamed to say that I was flying on air. This is dumb. It's stupid. Oh, I, I remember care. being ashamed of being like, well, no, this is my hustle. Like I got that forty five dollar ticket. They had unlimited weight at the time. Like. They're just ways that you learn how to manage, I think. Yeah. I don't, that's the word we use in Sierra Leone, how to manage that other people don't have to. And if you don't have people who understand, like, if you don't understand that I need a job. I think like, that's why we gravitated towards the friends that we gravitated. And that's why the friends who gravitated towards you gravitated towards you because you understood each other. Yeah. <laughs> you understood that you, you couldn't afford not to get a job and a good paying job at that. We're going to go to dinner out. We got a big yeah. place that works for everybody. Right. Like, you know, I don't know. College, I was like, $30? That's three hours in the kitchen. That's three hours. Yeah. God, I used to get paid $7. You know, like, ah. what, were you in the library? In the bookstore. And I thought I had a like fancy gig to realize that the upper class women who, you know, were of the same class, they had, that was like their second job. Yeah. Uh, when I found out, I was like, yeah, it's time to quit. Hey, Joe, I quit. <laughs> I can't work because of classes. I cannot work in the um in the, uh, the dining hall. So what are what are some of the other jobs on campus that pay ten dollars? And yeah. somebody was like, Oh, go to career services. Like, it changed the trajectory of my life. <laughs> okay. Being in there with those women, understanding it helps you internships, get... like what to do, what yes. to look for. That just that changed. I always tell people that job. It transformed everything. I think that going to the institution that we went to transformed so much for me because I think um, going back to socioeconomic status, you grow up with a certain mindset and you're like, oh, okay, like I'm going to go to college. Like I remember like before I started getting college mail, I was just going to go to any old place and no shade to any old school. Right. But um, given the kind of student that I am and just because nobody had gone to college in the U S anyway, mm-hmm. um, in my family, there wasn't a bunch, there wasn't much guidance. It just so happened that like my mom was like, what? Wellesley, ah, Hillary Clinton went there. So you're going, you know what I mean? That was her like thing. Yeah. So we're going to Wellesley kind of, I mean, I um, chose Wellesley because of the money. <laughs> well, I mean, that also made it compelling. But even when we're thinking about applying from oh. the jump, my mom was like, so you are going to apply to this because that's a good school. She at, she at least had that, what do you say, prescience to know like like this would be good. I didn't realize how helpful it would be. Again, like you said, for your career service experience, I think just, yeah, the resources that were there transformed a lot of things being able to study abroad and study abroad was also another yes. place where i saw the contrast between class because i was there on a wing and a prayer God. and some people <laughs> were living it up that was, that was, you know flying and, when I was and right up and down 
I used and to I was be over ashamed. There. Yeah, I used to be ashamed. So they'll be like, "Oh, you want to go to Portugal?" No, I was really like, "Oh no, I would like, like to, I would like to explore." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I wanted to go. So there was another friend of mine who was from. I think there were only like three of us who didn't have much money. So we we planned this whole trip to France. She knew that the study abroad folks, some of the people in the area. We're organizing something to Versailles that weekend. So she was like, yo, like, let's get together. <laughs> At least let us have some enjoyment. We can plan. We could just All get a Ryan Air back Ryan then. Air. Yeah. You know, let's pay about $25. Let's get on there, get a backpack, live in a hostel. They're going to Versailles. That'll be a free trip to Versailles. And then they have they have a hookup for a way for us to get free tickets to the museum. I saw all of the museum for free. We went to Versailles for free. We were sitting on somebody else's bus. They didn't even know. You have to be so, like, it's not crafty, resourceful. That's what it is. It's resourceful. And at the end, you know, when you grow up, you look back and you laugh. But all of these They were hard. (laughs) They were hard, but there were also lessons. And there there are lessons in how to relate to people. One of my jobs a few years ago, I was new. And the gentleman who was my mentor was like, oh, Christmas is coming. Like when Christmas comes, I try to give money to the lady who cleans. And I was like, oh, Miss Alonso. Oh, yeah, I I know. Like, and I'm like, this person I've already spoken to, like, she'll she'll come to my office, she'll close the door, Mm -hmm. and we'll have a chat. I knew about her daughter, I knew about her grandchildren, I knew a lot about her life. And he was like, oh, we, we try to give money. And I was like, oh, okay. And it's so funny, because I had started around the same time with somebody else. They were like, oh, I haven't seen her in a while. And I was like, oh, she's on vacation. And she was like, oh, you talk to her? And I was like, oh, yeah, and she's a like, person. People don't. It, a it person that I interact with every day. To appreciate people, to realize that, you know, I'm not working in a silo. Like, like that building works because she's doing her job. Yep, exactly. I wouldn't be able to do my job if she weren't doing If her she job. wasn't there. Yeah, it and, reminds me of college. Like, I, because I worked in the dining room, you know, near the end of the semester, they always have like those whack meals where it's like cleaning out the fridge. But anytime I went down and I saw what I didn't like, I would go to the kitchen, go in the back, go in the fridge and get what I wanted. And they'd be like, hey, girl, I'm like, yeah, I'm not really feeling what's for dinner tonight. You know what I mean? Like you can do that because you have that rapport as opposed to people who like threw plates in people's faces. Right. Practically because of X, Y and Z. No, it is. Um, here you think thinking you because I remember we were at Spain at the same time. I was in grad school at the time and I oh, was all the way yeah. in Barcelona. So maybe that's why you couldn't meet me because you were broke. <laughs> I was broke too. Girl, I actually went with a lot of money. I, I used to look forward to those Thursday stipends that they would give us. Uh, the reembolsos. The reembolsos. I was like, okay, I'm I'm just gonna eat at home and I lived with a family, so I, I could do that. I was like, I'm just gonna live out. I'm not spending this because I'm gonna I need enough money to travel. I was like, France was the only trip I went on outside of the, uh, outside Girl, of the at country. At least you went on really. one. I don't think I went anywhere. And meanwhile, people's like parents would come. Like I know in my cohort, there was one girl, one girl's parent came to visit her in Spain and they took all of her friends. I wasn't one because they, they did rich people stuff and I it wasn't. Um, and paid for like everyone's dinner. And I remember it being a big deal. At like this fancy Spanish restaurant and stuff. So it is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bitter. (laughs) I'm not. 
it, it helps grounds you discover you. it grounds you and it, like that specific experience in Spain helped me discover Spain whereas I feel like at least the south of Spain I feel like a lot of my classmates every little chance they got they were out of the country traveling around fine I wish I could have done that but yeah of course I would get on the bus and go to Malaga <laughs> that's all we would do like they'll be gone and then the four of us who didn't have much it's like nana why don't you come in and hang at house I, I cannot afford you, you all are going to that exactly. bar but you know the shame piece yeah. of it is what was there because i'd be like oh no i don't want to go right i'm not going to be like oh i don't oh, I have- I have to study. I have this. I have a call. My yeah. my host mom makes fun of me that oh you don't want to go in here. I was like sis, I want to party too. Like I I, I cannot afford it. <laughs> Look, some of us barely got into, we got into this college because it was need blind. Okay, so you. <laughs> you sit there now and you think back and I'm. Just I like, think back. Stop. I mean, it was really hustle. I I use those reimbolsos. Reimbolsos for those of you who don't know. Basically, it was this. Our program was a. It was a princess program, but um, they wanted to encourage you to participate in certain aspects of the Spanish culture. And so they would reimburse you for doing it. So if you took a taxi ride, for instance, to a museum or even to any kind of cultural event, they would you could take that receipt and up to a certain amount, they would give you yeah. money back. I would say that my biggest hustle, I ain't going to say what I did with the reimbursement. Well, please I, tell me. I got what some... It wasn't a big hustle, but I remember that we just, me and another friend decided that we were going to play, we were going to join a sports team. And so we got reimbolsos to go to like Foot Locker and get like these really. I volunteered because of it too. Because I figured that, let me just volunteer because I'll get an, I'll get um, a reimbolso. And I'll just walk to the volunteer place and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, take a car. It was far. I I did an internship though. So I don't know if that was like separate or what, but like. Anyway, at the, at the end of the day, it was life changing. I think going there and understanding how opportunities get layered, um, going to that institution Very because like that, yeah. really important. You need you know need a job to get a job, need an internship to get an internship, need funding to get funding, um, and so having that foundation and um, really helped me when I went on to grad school um, and different kinds of fellowships, and also when I like advise officially and unofficially other people and even my siblings i'm like yo you need to get on this hustle you need to go ahead and go to this do this program go to this school do that because i keep telling folks be very careful and strategic about the school because it's the it's the relationship and the network you build that network can change your life should you should go and sit in georgetown you know georgetown is great has name recognition but you may not have that same level of connection to the alumni as you would sitting at a williams college you need to be very strategic, school. a liberal arts school. Like you need to be very strategic as to what you choose and what will work for you. It can change the entire trajectory of your life. Just being in the space. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to say anything. Just and that there. is what is insane about, I mean, it's just sort of, you don't know. And at 17, 18, you don't know that. Don't but know. yeah, it was one of the best decisions of my life. I'll never regret it, it because so many things yeah. came from that. Yeah. And so I'm very like grateful about it. Um, I guess maybe in wrapping up, because now we were like, whoo, whoo, remember when we we're poor? Uh, <laughs> where? I don't know if where is the past. Yeah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Girl, a lot better now. But <laughs> you better, you better stop. Don't let me out you over here. <laughs> I, you know, alhamdulillah, 
Um, but you know, I, I know those, you know, I think about those, those rap songs. I was raised in the projects, roaches and rats, maybe not quite that, but like, you know what I mean? Uh, that is a line from a song somewhere. Um, but now we're here, we're adults and we've had the experiences that we had, but like, how do we see what generally is? Cause see, even you and I, Nance, we never had that conversation. I don't no. think I've ever said no, I was what, poor. What, 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 no, what I would say is that one thing I do like about f- generations after me is that people have been a lot more open about being first generation, about being poor. It's so, that's something that I've, you know, I know the older ones should teach the younger ones, but that's something that I've really found refreshing. Even in my siblings, when I look at their generation, like growing up, if you wore shoes from Payless, you would get made fun of. But I look at my sister just a few years behind me and people are like, whatever, get your, it was all about what bargains, what budget you can show that you had. And I love that that has changed. But I do think that we don't have, in general, we still and maybe it's generational, I'm not sure. We really don't have frank discussions about class. I think that because, again, of my background, like I said, you know, I know Lord and Taylors, I knew Anima Marcus, and then going to the institutions that I've gone to, having the experiences that I've had. I mean, real talk, like I said, uh, maybe not in this episode, thinking of another one, um, in the COVID episode, I haven't, like, I, this is the 2020 is the first year I've never stepped on a plane. Yeah. And usually it's to an international destination. Let's yeah. be real. I've lived in different countries. I've Wellesley instilled in me the hustle. And so I knew when I went to grad school and other places, I want to <laughs> learn this language. Will you help me learn this language? I'm halfway there. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Um, and so because of those experiences, yeah. people often don't know my background. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't I, I don't say, you know, this people hear about those experiences and they, they automatically think that, oh, you had the money to you had the money and the resources to do so. And yeah. they don't understand that it has been, you know, but for the grace of God <laughs> and and, you know, a series of very fortunate events. Um, but how do you think that like this lack of discussion about socioeconomic status and about class affects the way that we understand one another obviously it's even affected our college experiences like how much different would it have been you know my year oh. there was always there was rumors of like a saudi princess or something we had like royalty and stuff wow. like that she wasn't my year when i got there people said oh. that there was one i never knew who she was but you know things like that where it's like you know to what extent does class like we didn't have those frank discussions it obviously affected who we could hang out with. It obviously affected the kinds of courses we studied. Probably yeah. should have affected mine more. I tell you that I should have taken computer science, but I was over there living in oh, privileged that's, world. That's, I used to be like this girl. <laughs> I totally <laughs> drank the Kool Aid. They said, I'm taking, "Whoa, what are you talking?" Oh, I'm taking Middle Eastern. Oh, I'm taking Arab. I'm, like, what, I'm Middle Eastern. What, what job? At, I was like, oh, maybe she's you know. She's one of those rich, rich girls. Girl, no. 
Oh, up from the flow up, okay? Why, why do you think I was an economics major? Because I could not stand the labs. So I was and, like, okay, what's the next thing? But see, you had that guidance. I had a mom who said, well, do whatever you want to do. I support you. I didn't have the stereotypical African parent. You know, my, my father passed away. I didn't have the African parent that was like, you will do, you know, you will do X, Y, and Z. I had a larger community that was like, become a nurse. And I was like, no, like, what? You know, my my mama know me. She's like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you want people to die? <laughs> right. I, mean, I could have done it if I wanted to, right? But it's like, you know, when I say, you know, I want to sing, I want to be a singer. My mom says, you know, I gave birth to all of my children. I know everyone's skill, but thank you. It's not, it's not a thing that you were blessed with. <laughs> because she's That's frank. But she also yeah. didn't stress one thing or another. And, and her thing was like, if you do what you love, you will make a way. Yeah. Um, I wish that <laughs> she had but she was, was absolutely right though you did make a way yeah. by doing what because sometimes I sit there and I regret 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 <laughs> taking the path that I took because yes. I was like left to only me and if I were just there to be doing what I wanted and what I love God, I would have been some anthropology major like anthropology and some languages just and I would have enjoyed my college experience better yes, but because but... I felt like that wasn't open to me like I needed to find the job I, like I knew that although I graduated in 2009 like during a financial crisis I mean I remember uh, I went on an interview I got my suits at Macy's and at Jay-Z Penny and you know, my mom would shop the bargains for me and they were nice suits like I mean hey I felt confident in them and my senior I was doing interviews and a friend of mine was like girl is that what you're wearing to your interview and I was like yes what's wrong with well, the swish like when you're walking like swishes because of the I don't know if it's a polyester or whatever it is because you're supposed to be wearing the cotton suits I can't (laughs) and people knew I like I I was none the wiser people knew like when you walked in there what kind of suit you were wearing she said that to me I was like after I got my first job you know went shopping that was when I went to Banana Republic and I was like oh you know let's get you a great suit like just one in your closet and i told my mom you know stop buying me those suits and i remember telling my sister like you need to stop wearing those suits we're in them jc petty suits they're coming it's swishing <laughs> it's like swishing before you get there they know <laughs> was like, oh my god <laughs> These are things you don't know unless someone else tells you, right? So you just kind of... Meanwhile, we went to college with people who were wearing $10,000 suits, right? And so... And you wondered why you didn't get the consultant. <laughs> if I didn't get that consult, if I didn't get that job because of my suit, then whatever. There's unconscious bias. I think it's a variety of factors. I think unconscious bias plays a part, but there's also the fact that like a piece of class is like nepotism. And connections and we can call it whatever we want. We can put it in the positive or negative spin, but that also plays a really big role in things. Um, I think that as an adult, that is something that I think about quite a bit. I mean, it's kind of like what we said at the beginning. If we had known eh, what we knew. Uh, the, the places we meet today. Huh? I would like to think that. <laughs> I would like to think that it would be they're different. Lucky. They're lucky. <laughs> If I knew what I knew then, now what I knew then, it would be a different day. It'd be a whole different conversation. But um, we, you know, we have the lives that we lived. We've climbed the socioeconomic ladders that we've climbed and we face things and trying to help other folk. It makes you who you are. It's it's definitely, I mean, I I think I like who I am. It has made me who I am. I still 
connect more with people from humble beginnings than I do with people from not so humble beginnings. It's not a conscious or unconscious thing. It's just like when people share, um, I think like a good example is like there was a program that I did one summer and I was broke, broke. And I don't mean the art. Okay. <laughs> and we had like a end of program. Lunch. I just got what you said. <laughs> That's so corny. I know, it's so corny. (laughs) Whatever. But we had an end of program lunch and I I was so pissed because I, I, when I say broke, I think I had like, I was like, all right, I'm going to spend $15 on this meal. That's what I have. Um, and I bought, you know, like when you all pick something, I picked an appetizer. I was like, all right, this is $10 with the tax and tip. It'll be good. These heifers. They did it and said, let's split it. Yes, they did. <laughs> and one of them, she is, she's, oh a, she's a pretty famous, I don't know how famous she is. She's a professor now, but like, again, very privileged, you know, European, blah, 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 blah. And I was so mad. It's like, oh, it'd just be easier if we all split. And I'm sitting, I'm, the anger is boiling. I always do. And I'm, I'm just like, that's why you I'm sitting over here with my salad appetizer. Like, bye. Ex- you ordered steak. I got the French fries. And I said that that would be enough for my stomach now. So I ended up paying, I don't know, 20, 30 because we split it evenly. And somebody even, maybe they even had glasses of wine. I don't remember, but it's those kinds of things, right? That you're just like, I shouldn't have to expose myself to this extent for you to understand me. And I try to be sensitive to other people's possible socioeconomic status. Like even at work, right? Like, I think in the workplace too, people just kind of assume everybody has. You don't know that per- that person no, could you be. You know what kind home. of burden? Yes, yes. That person could have fifty kids. That person could have child support. Yeah. That person could have student loans. Yeah. That person could just not want to spend as much money as you're willing to spend on something. So you need to be conscious of those things. Um, and I just find it it's just easier if you know okay. when you lock eyes with someone and you're like we get it, we get it. <laughs> You get it. And it's not it's necessarily other people who are poor, right? It could be middle class, but just people just have a better understanding of money and other people's like financial status and like yeah. being sensitive to the fact that people are just gonna have different we just have different priorities. I you mean, may be willing to drop two hundred dollars on a dinner. It's definitely prevented me from going out with certain people because I know that how much they spend. I, I, so as you're talking, I'm, remind, I'm remembering. Take a long like, walk. And sometimes even when you're comfortable, like it's hard to break out of that. That's a whole conversation for another day. It's yeah. hard to break out of that mold um, of, you know, oh, feeling yeah, like you're spending too much. For a long yeah. time. Sometimes I'm like, ah. But then I'm like, no, Bunkio, you deserve this, girl. Life was meant to be what? Treat yourself. Yes. yes. Right? Treat yourself. Let's- French. Let me go do this thing. Let me go do that thing. It is, yeah, there's a conditioning that happens, but we, again, we don't have those conversations. I mean, I do think it's better to be poor and then rich. Uh, I remember having that very conversation. That's how I knew the splitting of the bill was coming because I remember when somebody did that to one of my friends in college <laughs> and she came back pissed. Oh, <laughs> she was like, I'm not going anywhere with these people. Oh, I, this wasn't for me. It wasn't even college. It was like after it was just a, it was a it was an educational oh program. But I was just like, you know, like, 
<laughs> where what universe do you all live in do you not go to college are you not in graduate school and then i was like, like yeah they some, are but they some people's parents are like paying and they're way through everything exactly so like, getting everything done and so it is different i mean when i was in grad school i was really lucky i had a fellowship but it was it was just enough to pay my rent you know i used to get these um one dollar pizzas from the grocery store the kroger and then I would like buy chicken breasts and cut it up or some other meat, cut it up, cook it and put it on top of the pizza to give it my top. <laughs> I really thought I was doing something. You know, I, <laughs> you talk about these things, you know, it's just, there was one oh, summer I worked at up, our man. partner school one summer and I had no money. Okay. No money. But what happened was they gave me, they gave me housing and like, remember they gave me like $50 or $60 a week for lunch. Mm. Girl, that was my food diet. That was my food budget. What I would do was wake up, I'd get maybe a juice for breakfast because it was, it was on a card from the like cafeteria. Yeah. And then I would wait till like two o'clock. I called it my one meal a day plan. I'd wait till two o'clock and then I'd get me like a big old sandwich or something for like five or $6. And that was it for the day. Right. To stretch that $50 out over seven days. Even when I got comfortable when we would travel for work, that is I, my per diem. Cha! I would bring like a whole, I was like, mm, this is a hustle. <laughs> like we don't need to. And I remember I worked with this, I, I worked one of my coworkers and it's so funny. Like, I think that's why we got along so well. He'll be like, oh, let's stay in this hotel because I have points and my points will get us to the upstairs, the exclusive upstairs, like where they have the food we can have that we can have a heavy lunch and then we can have we can go upstairs and eat yep. the search. and I was like bro you are teaching me another hustle because I did not realize that there was about that. so yeah oh, those no. of you who travel for work definitely get on them points programs and them frequent fire programs because they do make the world of difference you can in life your, you and can in everything you can keep a bulk of your per diem like you can keep a bulk of it and also like you know we all have really cool experiences that we can share. Not everything has to be expensive, no. right? No. There are definitely people who were in a higher socioeconomic level than I was. And we've been able to have really great opportunities and experiences because my budget set the pace for the trip or my budget set the pace for where we would go for dinner. And they got to still experience really cool things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you for for sharing uh we you hope too. that you've, you've, you've made me laugh <laughs> girl <laughs> because i remember those days man <laughs> when i think about it sometimes i t some things some things i can't even say but you know because they are that painful but it is it is my life and it's not uh, it's not a ding to me if anything it's a reflection on how much i've overcome to be where i am and how proud i should be yeah but we live in a society where like even people who have hookups right you need to be the self-made it's a weird thing when like relatively privileged people when you're like how did you make a million dollars right and they say i came from nothing and you're like but you know and then my dad gave me like five hundred thousand dollars as a gift <laughs> Right. So even when, I, when, I, when I was going to when I was going to Spain, I remember I went to beg my dad for like you know I just, I just just give me just give me like three hundred dollars. Like I I have nothing on me. I'm taking out extra loans to just do this trip. To do this, yes. I have to cry. And in fact, the money that he gave me, I brought about half of it back. And when I brought it back, I just gave it to my mom, and I was like, "Can you please hide it for me? Like just save it for me, so that one day, like if I need it, I could just oh, think, I brought it." 
yeah, that's I, people's. I, re- I think I probably I don't even remember how much I had. I think I had to wait until I got the refund of my financial aid for more money to be added. But I came with very little. And what messed me up was then I got sick. So this is the other thing. So talking about stories, I got sick because I think I might have maybe I don't know, whatever. I don't eat pork. And the, the dining hall that they housed me in fed pork. So for my first two and a half months, I was sick. The first like few weeks in particular, it was so bad that like I had to go to the hospital and I'm not, I, we weren't citizens. So they were like, oh, we got to pay for blood tests. And I started crying. And, you know, I think they thought that it was because I was sick, but I was like, I don't have this many euros <laughs> to be spending on these freaking uh, blood analysis and all this other shit. <laughs> Give me some time to let me go home. <laughs> I was like lordy lordy okay and that time was really bad because the euro you know that whole yeah. time the euro was worth so much more than the yeah. dollar and it yeah. just got worse and worse and worse yeah. so um, you, you, take, you take that 500 and it wasn't even worth it <laughs> taxi yeah. 3 euro hey. sandwich 5 three euro, euro. <laughs> 5 euro Tortilla Española, three euro fifty. Oh, the ch- the churros with the chocolate, like that. Oh. That used to be my like. That used to be my like the treat that well, I would I, give myself. I, I some hole in the wall shops because of those experiences. Oh yes, the 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 sandwiches, girl. Yes. But those hole in the wall spots, they used to be mad good. We knew one. So I don't know thing. if it was there when you were there, but it was like a Moroccan place, so you could get you a nice little shawarma. That's what. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Close oh. to the, it was close to one of the dorms. I used to walk all the way over there. <laughs> it was on our way. Cheap. You know, I was on the, my dorm was the farthest away. So it was on my way. So on the days when the, um, I forgot what we call them, when our dorm had like really, when they served fish, when they had really bad meals, yeah. we would like have a signal, bocadillo, bocadillo. And that meant don't come back for lunch. Just go to the, the shawarma shop and get your sandwich. So yeah, I mean, the place was so good. I it was so nice. Like it was Moroccans, it was great. I loved it. They were African. I loved it. And <laughs> I know, I know we can talk about these post stories forever (laughs) but i think i before i i digressed again my whole point was like there are people who you know had have grew up with silver spoons in their mouths and when they tell their story they frame it as a rags to riches it's often framed as rags to riches so if those people are doing that why should you know why should we be ashamed of who we are and where we came from and what we overcame? Well, when you said silver spoon, it reminded me of this gentleman that I worked with my first job out of college. And because I was in the program I was in, he would be like, "Oh, silver spoon kids, mm-hmm. like those are silver." And I, whenever he would say, I was like, "Bruh, do you know where I live right now? Coming <laughs> here, do you know how many people I live in that place with?" We became friends because I actually challenged him on that. I'm like, not everybody so was spoon in their mouth. Some of us is plastic. You know where I come from. Africans will use your hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It is it's really like, <laughs> it is it is lovely to uh, to be able to laugh about it. But yeah. in the moment you're just like, yeah. what are you talking about? Um, I remember I used to cry. I used to cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my anyway, God. thank you all for bearing with us. We hope that you could relate to our stories. And if you could, like, let us know. 
dead hay. <laughs> yeah. It, this this trip down memory lane was not as traumatic as <laughs> oh God. I might have thought. And for those of you who are still going through it, hashtag it does get better. It takes some time, but it does get better. So just hang in there. One day you two will be laughing about this. You want that yet? Inshallah. One day you two will be able to look back and say, hey, remember, see how far I've come and see how far what I've done and what I've accomplished. So we'll talk to y'all later. But thank you for joining in. Yeah.